Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Love it. Um, hey, if you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and grab that, and we are going to dive into our series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, so if you have a Bible uh, or you want to use your phone or tablet, that's cool too. So uh, flip with me or scroll with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start out in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll tell you what verse is here in just a second. But uh, if you're just joining us in the book of Ephesians, we are almost halfway through uh, this book. And I uh, wanted to just take a moment kind of tell you where we've been and what we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians. Hey, one thing I want to encourage you to do is take notes today. Uh, we are a note-taking church, and the reason is because we believe we didn't come to church today. We are the church today, and so we participate in things that happen. So when we worship, we sing together. And when we open up God's Word, we don't just sit back and try to enjoy the show and see if the pastor's entertaining enough for us. No, we are leaned in. And so a way that you can participate in the sermon time is to lean in Um, to take notes of what God's doing, to highlight things and be engaged in God's Word, all right? Um, And so that's what we're going to do. Hey, the first uh, two chapters of Ephesians, um, you may may feel like, man, we're kind of, are we ever going to get through this book, Brandon? I mean, it's a short book, but you're kind of taking a long time. And uh, the reason is because the first two chapters, in my opinion, are the most important part of Ephesians. But here's what often happens. We read the book of Ephesians, and the first two chapters, we actually just kind of breeze through because there's a bunch of church words in them. It's a bunch of glory this, and in Christ this, and, and uh, you know, like called this, and there's just so many church words in, in the first two chapters. Then we get to chapters three and four and five and six, and it's like, the, it's, it's what we like the best. You know, because Marilyn was talking about being like a fixer and wanting to fix things. And so the last part of Ephesians 3 through 6, that's what we like best because it's all a bunch of do this, do this, don't do this, knock this off. You guys start doing this. And it's just so cut and dry, black and white. We're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's pretty blunt. You know, like I can get behind that. Um, But here's the problem. If, If you do a bunch of stuff, then you're not going to focus on being who God wants you to be. And the problem is, the way that churches get filled with a bunch of hypocrites, and that, let's be honest, that's one of the number one chief complaints about church, is that it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. And one of the reasons we get that rap, and we get it honest, but one of the reasons we get that rap is because we are more focused on what you can do for Christ than who you are in Christ. And so you're trying to do a bunch of stuff you think God wants you to do without being who God has called you to be. And so the first two chapters are all about who you are in Jesus. Because if you're trying to do a bunch of stuff that you think is pleasing to God, but you have an identity crisis, you are not of good use to the kingdom. 
And so the first two chapters and what we're going to be talking about today is who we are in Jesus. So that's why we spent some time on this, because the rest of it you're going to get pretty easily. Yeah, Brandon, I got it. Do this. Yeah, Brandon, I got it. Don't do that. I got it. You're going to get that. But what I want to remind us of is who we are our core identity. And see, here's the other thing is a lot of people, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a hypocrite, a lot of people don't like the whole church vibe because it's, they feel like, man, all they do is want something from me. It's all about what I can do and how I can serve and being the right person and giving the right amount of money and doing this and doing that instead of focusing on, man, what has God done in you? How has God transformed your heart and your life? And so, guys, I really want you to get this today because that's what we've been talking about. And you guys can go back and check out our live stream and check out our podcast and, um, and catch up on Ephesians if this is your first Sunday. But if not, man, today, as we dive into Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to get this, all right? Because the miraculous thing about following Jesus is that it actually changes who you are. It's not an extra religion that you tack on hoping that it will provide some, you know, eternal fire insurance for you. This is actually, following Jesus actually changes who you are. It's not just a spiritual or an emotional crutch. It's power. But before God ever tells you how to live, He tells you who you are. And so today we're going to be talking kind of a little bit about, um, about rivalries. And uh, this issue of rivalry really came to me, it hit home to me when I was 11 years old. It's the first time I really remember understanding what a rivalry is. I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan. Are there any baseball fans in the house? Any, okay, a few of you. Um, no Phillies fans. Oh, oh gosh. All right, well, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Okay. No, now I'm a little nervous. No, um, no, it's, it's okay. Because when I was 11 years old, uh, church is for everybody, including Phillies fans. When I was 11 years old, this is what I remember. I remember I was just really getting into baseball, figuring this thing out. My team was America's team, the Atlanta Braves. All right. That, that, amen. That was my team. All right. And, uh, and I just remember the, they, in 1995, I was 10, they had won the World Series. And that was a big deal. That was like a, yes, we are America's team. We've done it. And then the next year in 1996, they went back to the World Series. And they played like the, I guess it would, I don't know if there's any Star Wars fan. I guess it would be like the um, equivalent of Darth Vader, you know, like the dark side. The New York Yankees. And um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm telling you, I'm not a, any Yankees fans in the house. Come on. Yeah. Mo, oh, really? I did not pin you guys. Wow. wow, we're going to have to make some leadership shifts in our church. Um, I, I, <laughs> I uh, man, I, I looked at that and, um, and I watched how the Yankees beat the Atlanta Braves. And, and, I, and that's the first time I had this feeling of like let down, this feeling of like, man, I don't like losing and I don't like the pain that's associated with it. And so I just started hating the Yankees. 
Like, I don't know why. I didn't know any of the players. I didn't really care about them. I just didn't like the feeling of that, of losing. And so I just, and sometimes there are some days that I am more of a Yankees hater than I am a Braves fan. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that rivalry just kind of kind of does it. In fact, you guys know about rivalries, right? I put a few of them on the screen. Uh, you can kind of look through, like the first rivalry, obviously. Android, where are my Android people at? All right. Nah, man, we're going to pray for you people because you turn, turn the text blue, okay? Like, come join the team. Be a part of something, all right? Um, no, I, I know. And then so there's always that, uh, you know, Android, Apple kind of rivalry. What, what's the next one? Yeah, Coke or Pepsi. Where are, my, where, where are my Pepsi people at? Really? It's the same as the Yankees fans is what it is. It's the same... Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's, it's not. But uh, yeah, Coke, or where are my Coke fans at? See, Coke is superior. It's just, it just is. You go to a restaurant and you say, I'll have a Coke, and they go, Pepsi, all right? No, it's not. No, I'll have a water, please. Thank you. Uh, go to the next, go to the next. Uh, oh, I know you're not supposed to talk about this at church, but that's a natural rivalry, right? Uh, that we hear about a lot on the news um, as if there's not crazy things happening around the world. We got to squeeze in a little bit of elephant versus donkey, you know, uh, Republican versus Democrat, like major rivalry. Uh, go, go to the next, next rivalry. Um, yeah, <laughs> Eagles. Oh my gosh. Um, security? Yeah. Um, no, the, the Washington Commanders, took me a while to find an uh, appropriate logo for them, um, and the Dallas Cowboys. So I don't even, are there even any Commanders fans anymore? Two of you. There are two of them. I just want you to let it be known in our record there are two Commanders fans in our church. Um, that's great. Any Cowboys fans? There, and there are two. And uh, the rest of us just wait for baseball season. That's exactly right. Um, the Commanders and the Cowboys, I don't know. When I moved to Virginia, that was like a, a natural rivalry um, uh, back when it was like the Redskins and the Cowboys. Anyway, it's kind of a, kind of a crazy thing. Um, I want you guys to see. But then, guys, there are like even more serious rivalries. Like, um, you know, like when you watch the news and you hear about what's happening in, uh, in Israel and in Gaza and between Israel and Palestine, when you hear about these rivalries, like, I know those are kind of fun, but that one's a really serious one, right? And it's been going on for thousands of years, like this crazy thing. So when, when we talk about rivalry, like, um, and, and I've been really careful not to get up and try to give you my opinion and say a bunch of stuff about it. And then we just happened to be in a part of God's word that I think directly addressed it then and is going to directly address it today. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that conflict that's happening. I want you to know that I'm praying through it. I want you to know I'm thinking about it, but I don't feel the need to stand up and make an opinion every time something happens in the world. But we, we just let God's word speak for itself. And so I want you to hear from God's word today. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. If you're there, say, I'm there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is depressing. 
That is super discouraging. Like, if you read this, it's like, oh my gosh. So, the first thing, like, if you're kind of new to church, you got to understand these words. Like, Jew in the Bible will represent God's people. God's chosen, holy, set-apart people. Gentile represented everybody else. So, if you're not Jewish here, then you're with me, you're a Gentile, all right? And, and so, th- those were kind of the two separations. And in the New Testament, when Christ died, and we discovered Christ died for everybody, then it became all these questions about, well, if Christ died for everybody, then what happened to the Jewish people? And do Gentiles get grafted in? And, and so circumcision, it talks about circumcision in here. Circumcision was like a physical act that God gave to his people to distinguish them from the rest of the nations. So God was like, I want you to be set apart and I want all the world to know who my people are because that's who I will show my glory to the nations through. And circumcision was a physical act of doing that. There's even places in the book of Acts where people are like, yeah, you want to be saved? Well, hop in the circumcision line because you got to do that to even be saved, you know? And I'm like, that's not, okay, so we're not, we're just going to avoid the rest of that. But that, that's, that's the problem. And, and even Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, makes a, a side comment. He says, you know, which is made in the flesh by hands. So what he's talking about is like all these outward things that you want people to come into, into Jewish culture, is all man-made. It's all done by human hands. But now the gospel is that something has been done by God's hands. And that's an inward change and transformation of our hearts and who we are. And so I want you to know this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. What's amazing is when the church first started, (laughs) there were no Christians. Like, it's not like when you started a church, you know, now people start churches in America and they just go like sift from other churches. And they're like, hey, do you like your church? Are you sure you like your church? Well, you should come try my church out. And that's how they grow churches in America. Like, we've tried really hard. And there's some of you who have come from other churches. But man, hopefully, like, we haven't stolen anybody. Like, we're, we're trying to grow Impact Church with new people coming to Christ and with people who are passionate about new people coming coming to Christ and those who don't have a church home, okay, um, and, and those who have been hurt by the church. So that is, who, that is who is hopefully here. But back then, guys, there was none of that. There, was none, there were no Christians. And so everybody was, was new to this thing. Like, could you imagine people for the first time, like sometimes we look around, they're like, well, that wasn't very Christ-like. What nobody acting Christ-like. Like, nobody, everybody was like, how do we do this thing? You talk about, like, you know, Marilyn and Rachel were talking about, yeah, we don't know what to do, just hop on the train. Okay, that was how the church started. And that, that's what's kind of happening here. Everybody has a past. And so, like, we see that without Christ, um, verse 12 says that we were separated from God. And guys, there is nothing worse than this. I'm just telling you, there is no worse news than to be separated from God. And the fact is, the Bible says, that's all of us. Like, like you may say, well, Brandon, I grew up in church, but you, weren't, you didn't grow up saved. Like you may say, but Brandon, I, I grew up going to church. I know all the right answers. I've read my Bible, da, 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 da. But you were actually born a sinner. 
separated from God. And you may say, well, Brandon, that's not very kind. Like, like how, what do you mean I was separated from God? One thing separates you from God, sin. And that's a big, that's a, a small but yet big church word in the Bible that really just means disobedience. And, and here's the truth. You don't need me to get up and rant for 40 minutes about being disobedient to God. We all know we've been disobedient to God, right? I mean, can we all get on the same page this morning? Like, ain't nobody, including me, I'll be the chief, all right? I'll be the chief of the We A Bunch of Sinners Club, all right? And we, we just know that. Like, we know we're messed up. We know that we bring a past into this thing that God's doing. And so that sin separated us from God. And, and I want you to, to think about this. I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you're a parent, if you've ever lost a child, like even just for a second, maybe like they're even in the room, but you just, you know, I don't know if any of you have met uh, Evangeline uh, Hembry, but even, even if you're in the room, you know, you can still be like, oh, where? or I don't know if you've ever been lost, if you've ever been lost. I remember one time when I was a kid, I was with my mom and we were at old school mall, uh, a place called JCPenney. I don't even know if they have JCPenney. Anymore. They got J.C. Penney? Okay. So I ain't been to a mall in like years. So J.C. Penney, well, we were in J.C. Penney, and one thing I love to do with my mom is she'd be over here like looking at clothes or whatever, and I would love to go hide in the clothes racks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's just something fun about it because you felt like, man, I'm in my own little secret fort, you know, like, ain't nobody getting to me. And, uh, and one time I did that, but my mom just kept going. I think she thought I was somewhere else. And, and then by the time I was like, well, she hasn't looked for me. Or usually she'd be like, Brandon, where are you? And I'd be like, <laughs> you know, and she'd be like, oh, where is he? You know, and, and we would do that, but she didn't do any of that. So all of a sudden, like, I look through and my mom isn't there. Man, I was so frightened. Now, it took like, it, maybe I was lost for like 15 seconds. But for those 15 seconds, you felt the reality, right? Of like, I'm supposed to be with my mama, but she gone. Like, what are we going to do? I'm lost. What have I done? And guys, that's what it's like. And, and that's why when it talks about being separated from Christ, that's why sometimes we consider people who don't know Jesus, we would refer to them as lost. Okay? That word lost, it's not to degrade people, it's to say, no, you're separated from God. You, God. God knows you and sees you and loves you and you're supposed to be with him, but you're not. And that, that's why we use the word lost, it's not meant to be degrading. He, he goes on and says that um, you were foreigners, alienated, <laughs> alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers, foreigners, aliens. What this means is there was no pathway to citizenship for you. You were just, you were stuck around, around a bunch of people who said they had God's promise, but you didn't. That, that's who Paul's writing to. He's like, man, this is your reality. He says you are without hope and without God. In other words, you're turning to worthless, dead idols, and you don't know the true living God. Now, I understand this is depressing, discouraging, upsetting, and honestly, it could be offensive for you to hear. Like, especially if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you're not following Jesus, you're just checking things out. You're like, yeah, I went to a really weird church today where the dude called me an alien. He called me a stranger. He called me lost. He called me separate. Like, I understand the offense that that could bring. 
But I want you to know that if you're not following Jesus and that's like your current condition, I want you to know you're in a room with a bunch of people who were all in that condition before Christ found us. Like the first part of verse 11 is two words. Therefore, remember. Remember means something once was and you are now remembering your state before you knew Jesus. So everybody has a past. Let's keep reading verse 13. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. It says, but now. Oh, somebody say amen. It says, but now. All right, we've got a turning point. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Somebody say Amen. Man, if you're a note taker or you highlight or you underline or you whatever, uh, doodle, journal, like highlight verse 13 because that's your story if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, that's your goal. Like that's, that's what we want is that those of us who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. Aren't you glad? who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that rivalry we talked about. And he did this by, verse 15, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility or killing the rivalry. Verse 17, and he came, talking about Jesus, and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That's everybody. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Man, isn't that good? If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus has made a way. Man, we talk about how we all have a past. We all have a life without Christ. <clears throat> Some of it is, is our past. Some of it is it's our present. But man, you need to know this, that regardless of your past, Jesus has made a way out of it. Like no matter what your past is, if you're here today and your past is church hurt, or your past is church abuse, or your past is hypocrisy, or your past is living a double life or a triple life. Or, or your past is one marked by sin where you were separated and distant from God. Or maybe that's even your present. I want you to know Jesus has made a way to bring you back to God. You are not hopeless. You are not separated in the dark. The lights have been turned on and Jesus stands waiting. He says, that, but this is really important because... In verse 13, he says, but now in Christ. See, guys, this is really important because all those things that we just listed, we're going to talk about them for just a second, but all those things that Paul just listed about what Christ has done for us applies to those, listen to me, who are in Christ. Who are in Christ. But see, some of us, some people, who claim to be Christians, claim to follow Jesus, go to church, 
They don't live like they're in Christ. They just live like they like to hang around Christ. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference in people who just hang out around Christ and people who submit themselves and become one with Christ and in Christ. And guys, listen, Jesus, when he came and he called us to be in him and he provided salvation and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he never stood around his followers as a resurrected king and said, so you guys just print some t-shirts and uh, start a couple of cool trendy churches and kind of be loosely associated with me, all right? All right, I'll be back in a little bit. He didn't do that. Instead, he said, man, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and come on. And guys, that's, that's why this, the, these things apply to people. Jesus didn't die for you to be loosely associated with him. Jesus died to bring you into him so that you could have a relationship with him, to know him and not just know about him. And that's what these things do for us. And so, man, think about it. Like, if I tried to tell you about a movie Okay, And I was trying to tell you about a movie, and I haven't seen it, but I went online and I read some reviews about it, because how many of you know Google is always right? And I go online, and I, I read some reviews, and we're hanging out, casually talking, and you guys are like, hey, so anybody seen the new whatever movie? And I'm like, oh man, let me tell you all about it. Like, this happens, and this happens, but honestly, like, the humor's not great, and the acting is subpar, and I don't know, I'd give it a Rotten Tomatoes of about 46%. Like, you know, just random, maybe I would do that, okay? That's very vague very whatever. But man, if I've gone and seen the movie and I've eaten the popcorn, because I'll be honest with you, you can put anything on the film. You give me a big tub of popcorn and I'm giving you at least four stars. All right. That's a good movie. If I got some popcorn, you go sit down and I've experienced it. I've seen it. I watched it. I was there for the highs and the lows. I heard the music. I listened to the soundtrack. I saw their faces. Like I experienced it. I can speak about it very differently. Guys, it is different to just theologically know about something and to actually know someone. And guys, that's the invitation of being in Christ. It's not that you would know theologically about him, but that you might know him intimately, personally. So he says this, he says, you are brought near by the blood of Christ, which is really gross. Um, Really weird. If you're new to church and you're thinking, man, I don't want to be brought near by no blood. Like, I don't do blood. I don't do hospitals. I don't do needles. I don't want to do no blood. I may even seem a little violent. Like, whoa, what's, what you talking about? You know, like being uh, brought near by the blood of Jesus. But listen, what it does is it reminds us of the weight of our sin. That our sin required blood being shed to be forgiven. It shows how God took his perfect, righteous son and took all of his wrath out on him by punishing him for our rebellion. Jesus became blood-drenched so that we could be forgiven. And ultimately, so that those who were far off can be brought near. Man, listen to me, church. You could not have been more separated from God than you were the moment God saved you. You cannot, but listen, you could not be nearer to God than you are the moment that he saves you. There is no in-between of trying to earn his nearness. 
when you receive it, you receive it in full. And so I want to show you just a few things this passage says about us. I'm going to run through this really quick. Number one, we learn that Jesus is our peace. We learn that Jesus is our peace, that he has made peace between us and God. He has made peace between one another. He talks about tearing down a wall of hostility. Um, and guys, listen, there was literally, and I think this is what he's talking about, there's literally a wall in the temple that they would, the Jews would go and worship. There was a wall that separated the Jewish people and the Gentiles. So the Gentiles could come and worship, but they had to stay on the other side of the wall. And so I love this imagery that Paul says, actually, God has torn the wall down. Like some of y'all think Ronald Reagan's the one who came up with that. But Jesus is the one who said, tear down the wall. Like, this is it. Like, there's no longer any hostility between Jewish people or Gentile people. There's no differentiation between God has favorites over here, but not favorites over there. There is no more like you got to be circumcised to worship, or you got to know the church rules to be able to come to Jesus. It's just about Jesus. That's it. The wall has come down. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil was torn in two, meaning the wall that separated us from God was also torn down. So you got two walls coming down. The wall that separated us and God and the wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. Now we are all one. We are one with Christ and we are one with one another, which is the second thing is that Jesus has made us one. When Jesus died, he made it impossible for us to come to him by human means. That's what it, when it's talking about the law and you got to follow the ordinances of the law. He's like, man, no more. Like you can't come to God because you took communion or because you went and got baptized or, or because you got circumcised. Like that, that doesn't bring you close to God. You are brought near to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is why the church, what we do is so important because it is a picture to the world of unity in Christ in spite of our cultural differences, in spite of our language barriers, in spite of our different backgrounds or worship preferences or genders or age, despite our different geographic locations and where we came from. Jesus is able to unite all people to himself. Man, this is why we've got to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in the middle of Fredericksburg. We have to be because this is why Jesus died. And when we see Jesus do that, we show a picture to the world that government can't do that, nations can't do that, the president can't go meet with some people and accomplish that. Only the blood of Jesus can break down walls of hostility, can destroy rivalries for thousands of years. Only the blood of Jesus can bring people together. That's it. And we also see that Jesus preaches peace. It wasn't something that Jesus just is theoretically. No, he preached it. And Jesus is still preaching peace through us today. Man, people don't need democratic solutions. People don't need government solutions. People don't need theological solutions. People need peace. And they can only achieve it through Jesus. So let's get it to them. And the last thing is Jesus gives us full access to God. Man, you have ultimate access to him through your prayers when you pray in the name of Jesus. 
All right, let's finish up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Guys, this is a picture of what it looks like to plant a new church. This is a picture of what it looks like when we say we want to be the church. And so if you're taking notes, write down this this one more thing, is that you have a purpose and a future. You have a purpose for this present age, and you have a future. Jesus didn't just save you, and one day you'll go to heaven, so now just kind of do whatever the heck you want. He didn't save you just for now, but you're not sure about the future. No, Jesus saved you and has given you a purpose now and a future later. And so he gives us three, pick, three word pictures to end this. Gives us three word pictures of what our purpose is and what our future is. So number one, he says this. He says, you're no longer aliens or foreigners or strangers. You are citizens of God's kingdom. Isn't that so good? You're not a refugee anymore. You're not just a foreigner or an alien or stranger to this whole Jesus thing or to this whole gospel thing or this whole church thing. When Jesus saves you, he makes you a citizen of his kingdom. And this was a big deal because back in the day, to be a citizen of Rome, like the people who he's writing to, to be a Roman citizen was one of the most prized possessions that people could have. It meant status. It meant elitism. So what Paul is saying is you couldn't get any more elite than being a citizen, not of Rome, but of God's kingdom. Man, it's amazing because when we go to Greece and we work with refugees or even when we work with refugees here in our city or in the D.C. area, um, this is what I notice about them. There are thousands of them that we interact with as a church and they feel vulnerable. They feel unsettled. They feel intimidated. They feel lost, like they don't know where they are. They've they've got papers with them at all times that they can't even understand to fill out. So imagine their relief when they receive citizenship. Imagine their relief when they ain't got to carry papers around with them anymore, when they don't have to figure things out anymore, when they don't have to live out of boxes anymore. Imagine their relief. Well, guys, that's what Jesus did for us. He has settled us. He has brought us into a kingdom and made us citizens of his kingdom. Number two, it says that the Bible says we have become members of his family. Okay, so being citizens of a kingdom, that's pretty cool, right? But the thing is, like, we can still, we can still have our pockets of citizenship. Like, oh, you got some people over here, and you got these people over here, and these people over here. So the Bible says we're not just citizens of a kingdom, we are a family. Now, I'm going to be real with you for a second. We are a straight-up awkward family. Some of y'all know something about that. But we are a family nonetheless. We have the same father. We've all been adopted. We have responsibilities as a family. But you know what I notice a lot of times is that we're tempted to treat the church of God like a hotel, not like a household. 
Where we come in, we come out. We check in, we check out. We leave our stuff, don't worry, housekeeping's going to get it. We're here, we're there. We're not really here, we're just here for a little bit, and then we'll go on somewhere else. And, and this is why I get a lot even from um, college students or from young adults who started a job here, and they go, yeah, but I'm not going to be in Fredericksburg for long, so I don't really need a church And I'm like, no, you may not need what you would consider a church, but could you use a family? Like, could you use a a people that you belong to that are going to help take care of you? And then you have responsibilities too as well. That like, there's just something refreshing. Even when I was a college student, I would go home and my mom would look at me and say, "Uh, the dishes are still dirty. And it's almost comforting where I'd be like, all right, yeah, I'll go wash the dishes, you know? It's like, I'm home, I'm home, you know? And, and guys, there's just something about that. So listen, do not treat the church like a hotel. The church is a family. The church is a household where we gather together and we take care of each other. And here's the last thing, and worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up, but don't put your stuff away. Listen, the Bible also says we are stones in God's temple. We are stones in God's temple. Where the foundation, he says, come from the prophets and the apostles, that just means God's word. It means the foundation of the church of Jesus is not my personality. It's not your personality. It's not your preferences or my preferences. It's not the building we meet in. It's not the people that we have. The foundation of this church is the word of God. This is what we stand on. If you stand on what the culture says church should be, I guarantee you in 15 years, that opinion is going to change. And then what you're standing on is going to shift and it's going to fall. But when you set everything on the word of God, this is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. It is a solid foundation for your life and for our church. And he says not just the foundation, but the cornerstone of this temple is Jesus. See, the cornerstone would be laid so that everything else, that every stone you put lined up with the cornerstone. Guys, listen, church is not something where we just bring our ideas and our vision. Man, you shouldn't give a rip about my vision. The question is, what is God's vision? And his vision is Jesus Christ, his son. So everything we build has to align with who Jesus is. He's the cornerstone. So when we wonder where should we put this stone, we don't look at the other stones. We don't check out what the temple is over there across the street. We check out the cornerstone. And we say, what does Jesus think? What does Jesus say? How does he live? And that's how we place the stones. And we are the stones. So this is not a church growth strategy. This is actually a life strategy that our stone has to be aligned with the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ churches are imperfect because the people that come to them are imperfect if the cornerstone was just there it'd be a perfect church but we got all these stones that got all sorts of beautiful imperfections in them and what makes them stick together is not their imperfections Because Jesus is working that out. What makes them fit together is the cornerstone. And that's Jesus. I love uh, this quote. A guy, Tony Moretta, he's 
the vice president of Sin Network, which is the network helped to start this church. He says, practically, that means every person counts. We need each other's time, talent, treasure, love, resources, encouragement, and rebukes. We are to live the Christian life together as a multi-ethnic temple centered in Christ and rooted in the teaching of Scripture. So I just want to ask you today, who do you walk around saying that you are? I mean, I understand we got to think like to follow Jesus, we got to do, 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 do. But let's ease up on the gas for a second. What if Jesus is more concerned actually about who you are than what you're doing? Are you a stone attached to the cornerstone? Are you a member of the family of God? Are you a citizen of his kingdom? Were you once separated, but you've been found? Brought near by the blood of Jesus? Given peace? Walls of hostility torn down? One with people you can't even speak languages with? That's because of Jesus. That's what Jesus does in our life. And that's who we are. And so if you sit here today, Brandon, you go, Brandon, I've never experienced that. I've said prayers. I've been baptized. I've gone to churches. I've grown up in Sunday school. I've done all this stuff. But Brandon, I've never become that. Then I want to invite you to give your life to follow Jesus today. Because that's what Jesus does. But if you would say, Brandon, I am that. But sometimes I get caught up in the, I got to do this and got to do that. And life gets messy and I forget who I am. Then today you can do what we call repent. Which is, it's a beautiful word. It's not a bad word. It's a beautiful word where you get to turn away from your sin and you get to head back towards Jesus. And 10 times out of 10, you think it's going to be a long walk. But usually about the time you turn around, Jesus is there to grab your hand and take the rest of the way. That is an invitation available to us today. So before we get into the how to follow Jesus, let's talk about who we are in Jesus. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.